0: Good morning. It's Thursday, April 1st. I'm Duarte Geraldino. Shimita is out this morning. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Before you start making plans for post-vaccinated life, daydreaming about going to restaurants, concerts, getting on a plane... Think about how you're going to signal to everybody around you, I've been vaccinated. The idea of vaccine passports has been kicked around since before COVID vaccines were even available, but now that so many of us are getting the shots, states and private companies are racing to help launch a standardized way for you to share your vaccine status. Vox has a good explainer on this. The general idea of these so-called passports is that you could either carry a printed copy or show a scannable code on your phone, sort of like an airline boarding pass. They would be free, but it's unclear how all these different passports are going to work together. Vox is skeptical a national system is even possible. The Biden administration is trying to lay out some guidance and standardization measures, but it's also insisting there will be no centralized vaccine database or requirement to get credentials. So we're likely to see a proliferation of various apps all trying to verify vaccinations and a patchwork of state efforts. By the way, the Washington Post explains, even vaccine passports are getting caught up in our ongoing culture wars. Some conservatives are portraying the idea of a vaccine passport as a form of government overreach. Just look at Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis said he would ban businesses in his state from requiring proof of vaccination. It's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you the requirement that you show proof of vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society. The Washington Post is citing focus group research showing vaccine passports might motivate some people who are hesitant to actually get the shots. The idea of regaining some normalcy of being able to go to the movies or eat in a restaurant again might be a convincing enough incentive. New York just became the 15th state to legalize recreational marijuana. Governor Andrew Cuomo signed the legalization bill into law. Here's what one of the co-sponsors of the bill said about the significance of this moment. The last time New York state did anything like this is when we were removing the prohibition from alcohol. That was in 1933. Here we are in 2021. Almost a hundred years of prohibition on marijuana and we're removing it. Soon, New York is gonna have the country's second largest recreational marijuana market. The state expects the sale of legal weed to create up to sixty thousand jobs in New York State and add three hundred and fifty million dollars in annual tax revenue. A big chunk of all that money is gonna be directed towards communities that were hurt the most during the war on drugs. The national legalization effort has come a long way in a decade. NPR's Planet Money recently put out a list of what we've learned since this trend started back with Colorado and Washington State. And the big thing they found is, back then, there were a lot of doomsday predictions about what legalization would mean. Ten years later, the data shows a lot of those predictions just didn't come to pass. For example, critics warned violent crime would go up and that legalization would cause more traffic accidents and death. Supporters argued the exact opposite. Planet Money's reporting, both sides got it wrong. After it became legal to light up, munch on edibles, use marijuana in any way you like, violent crime didn't increase. It also didn't decrease, nothing. And as it turns out, legalization doesn't impact traffic fatality trends. What did come to pass, however, is a jolt to state economies and budgets. Planet Money points to one report, which calculated the marijuana industry created 77,000 jobs last year. And right now, there are more than 320,000 jobs in the field. That's bigger than the mining industry. Plus, the tax revenue from legal recreational marijuana has been big for states as well. Colorado brings in more than $20 million every month, and California collects more than $50 million a month. Have you ever heard one of these ads while listening to a podcast? Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapists to them. Talkspace is affordable. If you struggle with the cost of in-person therapy, if you struggle to have to wait for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24/7, they'll engage with you. These are just a couple of the services that promise therapy from your smartphone. Molly Fisher wrote a piece in New York magazine that questions whether these companies are overselling, you know, giving people unrealistic expectations of a level of mental health care that, as the article argues, is hard to deliver digitally. Fisher makes the case that these plans are sold to users as cheaper alternatives to traditional therapy, and as a round-the-clock 24-7 service, but the catch is in the fine print. Text all you want. It doesn't mean someone is waiting to text you back. There's also not a ton of research about how effective text therapy might be. A therapist on BetterHelp said, he noticed his text-only clients were not making as much progress as the ones he spoke with over the phone. Another therapist noticed it was more difficult to build trust and rapport when conversations were only via text. This is all a reminder that the digital services that grew during the pandemic Can't replicate in person communication, you know? There's a lot more to this story about online therapy. If you're on the Apple News app, you can listen to the whole piece as a narrated article. Get there by tapping the notification we send you midway through this show. Now you can see the Mona Lisa without having to pay for a trip to Paris or pushing through crowded galleries the Louvre is letting you experience its world-renowned art for free from your own home. The museum recently digitized its massive collection and it includes works that are on display in the museum as well as those on loan or in storage. NPR reports the Louvre's collection is so big it's not really clear exactly how many pieces of artwork are in it but the museum estimates nearly a half million of its works have already been digitized. Its new database likely contains about three-quarters of its archive. One museum expert tells NPR, she's impressed and appreciates how the online collection highlights art that many people may miss in the Louvre. And unlike the real thing, you can get really close, you know, zoom in. And if you get a chance, check out Mona Lisa's eyebrows. Every time I look at them, I think I see here, but I don't know. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, Check out some of our audio stories, including that New York Magazine article about online therapy. Shemitah and I will talk with you again tomorrow.